people were so keen to forget about the pandemic that they actually forget about the worst of. The long COVID patients cannot go onto the manly fields, they cannot speak out. In I public. think it's not said very often. <laughs> yeah, in the okay. Netherlands, maybe not. <laughs> no. But really, follow the Germans. Hi and a happy new year to all of you listening. Welcome back to a new episode of In a Nutshell, a podcast of Fox in which experts of Radboud University tell us what fascinates them most about their research. My name is Yara Mascherus, and together we will explore some of the most interesting findings and topics that 100 years of Radboud University have brought forward. Today's guest is Vivian Matisse-Bone. She's a professor of philosophical ethics and political philosophy. And today we're going to talk about a topic that might not be very evident when hearing the words philosophy and ethics. We're going to talk about long COVID. Welcome, Vivian. Thank you. Hi. But before we begin, um, here are three things you should know about long COVID. Number one, long COVID is traumatic, but it is not a psychological disease. Number two. There is no cure for long COVID, but we can reduce its symptoms. And finally, number three, if we want to reduce its symptoms, we should follow the Germans. Vivian, as mentioned before, you are a professor of philosophical ethics and political philosophy. Yet, we are going to talk about long COVID. How come? Yeah, because whilst long COVID is a biological like and an, a physiological disease, there are, of course, deep philosophical questions and ethical questions also that arise out of the disease and particularly also out of the experience of the disease itself, which is often um, equated by patients to a sense of a living death. Um, and, of course, you know, the sense of, of being alive or being dead, that's something that phenomenology has a lot mm -hmm. to say about. Um, but not only that, it, it raises a lot of um, ethical questions, not just about the biomedical treatments of patients, but also about social ethics, um, political, you know, questions of justice as well, in terms of how people uh, in society respond to patients Uh, what the social structures uh, ought to be or what they are uh, towards patients and also how the experience of illness itself really forces us to rethink the political philosophical notions of also autonomy, mm -hmm. uh, individuality, um, you know, self-determination, all of those things that we often take for granted, particularly when we think of democracy. Mm -hmm. So when we think in terms of democracy, we often don't think of vulnerability. Uh, we don't think of dependency. We don't think of, um, you know, bad luck basically happening um, and how that actually changes your relation to society and towards politics. So in that sense, I think long COVID is important for a, a yeah, philosophical perspective in the sense that it forces upon us uh, this notion of vulnerability ethics, if I'd say. Mm -hmm. So to think about how vulnerable we actually are um, as you know, a human being. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that philosophical lens on long COVID in a, in a bit, but maybe let's first focus on long COVID itself because I feel like, well, kind of everyone is very familiar with COVID. I mean, we all experienced it in some way or the other. Um, with long COVID, that is different. So yeah. what is it that we should know about long COVID? COVID as such is a disease of the blood, particularly. 
And what that means is that in long COVID, it's the bloodstream that goes through all of your different organs, go into your immune system and everything. That means that a lot of long COVID patients have, um, you know, can have up to 200 different kind of symptoms. It's extremely debilitating. And in total, there are five different phenotypes uh, relating to the immune system, to the vascular system, uh, to the muscles, you know, to the met metabolism. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very complex disease. Mm -hmm. But I think what is most, uh, yeah, what we need to remember of it is that it's severely incapacitating in that people really cannot even do the smallest things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because when they do the smallest things, um, it can really feel like dying. Um, mm -hmm. And that, I think, is also often underestimated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You yourself suffer from long COVID. Um, that is also why you're wearing a face mask while you're sitting here in the podcast studio. Um, how have you been experiencing this sickness yourself? Yeah, well, let me first of all say that thankfully I'm okay now mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that I receive medications uh, in Germany. So there's a very different approach in Germany than in the Netherlands. Uh, they're much more active in terms of research and, and treatments and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so with that, I'm I'm actually okay as long as I don't sort of overdo things and I'm I'm fine. So I can function normally again. So at the moment, I'm fine. Although That's it's nice. a lifelong yeah. disease yeah. and I, I will never get rid of it. Yeah. But it's a case of you know if you keep taking the medication, um, then you know I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, however, how it was is that I would say long COVID is an extremely disorientating disease um, and it really renders you into a state of, of speechlessness in terms of, you know, before I got COVID, I was a healthy, normal, you know, human being going about my daily life, not mm -hmm. thinking in a yeah. sense about my body, right? I mean, I was, but mostly when I felt really tired or, you know, normal stuff that mm -hmm. normal people have or how, how I experienced normality at that point, which, of course, later on I also discovered is very problematic. Um, and then long COVID hit, and it was basically like for me in January 2020, I got infected uh, through, with long COVID. And really it was like... You, you, your whole life crashes down, uh, like everything falls apart mm -hmm. in the sense that physically it feels that um, on the worst moments you're falling in, in yourself. So you're falling so deeply and if it really feels also that all your organs are giving in. So like your, your body is actually giving up. Um, and that's something... You know, that you've never experienced. I've been ill before, uh, but I never experienced that, you know, that sense of your body is literally caving in, is literally giving up. Uh, so it's also a very frightening experience. Mm -hmm. um, it's frightening both in the sense of you don't know, you know, am I going to die? Um, but also, am I even going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. um, am I ever going to get better? And that question is also particularly important over time. Um, I had long COVID, or I still have it, but, you know, in the worst form, um, for a year and a half, mm -hmm. five months of which I spent entirely uh, in bed every day, uh, couldn't move. Um, if I had a shower, you know, I had to recover for, you know, good three, four days mm -hmm. um, because the impact of just having a shower is so grave 
that you just, it's like you collapse in yourself mm-hmm. um, and you really literally cannot move your arms or your, your legs. Everything is so heavy and so broken. Um, and then, of course, you know, being a philosopher, I guess it also <laughs> made you really think about this sense of, my God, you know, I have a will. I mean, I want to do things, so yeah. I have a will, yeah. but the will has absolutely nothing to say in any of this. Mm-hmm. So it was really this sense of, yeah, of utter submission to the physiological process mm-hmm. that you can't stop, you can't direct, you can't influence, um, and at times it just seemed to be getting worse. Yeah. Um, and then I, thankfully, through the German healthcare system, um, I got help. Um, I got better, uh, or at least a lot better. I wouldn't say I could never recover, but I'm okay to function normally. So you're currently doing research on long COVID, um, but you do not examine it from like a strictly medical perspective, but you look at it as a, a philosophical and political researcher. Um, so what is it that you're working on right now? How are you connecting the fields and yeah, what are you, what are you looking for? Yeah, so basically what I uh, work on is the, is on the traumatic impacts of long COVID mm-hmm. uh, as it's experienced by patients. So I'm first writing, an, in a sense, an autoethnographic account of my own experience and then also using this uh, to set out a broader research that compares the experience of Dutch patients with German patients and now also probably patients in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason uh, for that is that the experience in the Netherlands is, I think, also still quite distinct from the experience in Germany, particularly, where there has been much more recognition by the yeah. government, where people understand COVID to be a an organ disease and not yeah, flu. Talking about long COVID clinics in yeah. Germany, right? I'm not sure whether yeah. that exists in the Netherlands. But no, there isn't yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, and also, in fact, the, the minister has totally refused at every single stage to set up treatment. He recently also said in Casa, like, you know, there will not become any treatments for long COVID because he deems it experimental, which is um, nonsense. Mm-hmm. Because the treatments that you get, say, in Germany, they're based on medications that have been there for, you know, 30 years. I mean, and that we know the side effects. It's just that officially they're not prescribed yet for long COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like we know the medications, we know the side effects. So we also know, you know, what happens and how you can stop it and, and all of that. Yeah. So there's nothing experimental, but he just doesn't want to do it. And that has a great impact on... Um, on, on the way that people feel heard, uh, mm-hmm. feel seen. Mm-hmm. The other great aspect is that in Germany, there was a huge public information campaign with billboards and posters in all the great cities um, and, and also um, websites and other things by the government that also pushes for the latest scientific things, so not just some you know random knowledge and that's it. Um, and it means that when patients become so incapacitated that either you can, as a society, you know, chose to to kind of, in a sense, care for them and, and light, lighten the burden, or you can just drop them in complete oblivion. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the Netherlands, it's been more or less the latter, mm-hmm. uh, whereby people were so keen to forget about the pandemic uh, for whatever reasons that they actually forget about the worst of. Um, and the worst of means the vulnerable who are already vulnerable, but also those who were suddenly deemed vulnerable by COVID. Yeah. So who were totally normal, like didn't have anything, and then were suddenly, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so 
um, what I then really research is also the way in which the trauma of the physical trauma of the disease is either you know replicated or aggravated by the societal trauma in terms of how patient how people respond to the disease and the political uh, trauma of how uh, basically governments respond mm -hmm. to the disease. Hi. How nice that you're listening to In a Nutshell. You are enjoying this episode and you want to know more about the amazing research done at Radbaut? Then you should check out the previous episode of this podcast where my co-host Antonia learns all there is to know about being single. And now, back to long COVID. Um, you now mentioned the word trauma. Um, yeah. And I feel like... When hearing about your research, yeah, there's more to the definition of trauma. So I wonder how do you define it? And also then in which sense is long COVID uh, a traumatic experience? Right. Yeah. Well, let me first of all say that I think it's really important that uh, we rethink the notion of trauma. And this is also what I've done extensive research on. has also been published in my latest book um, on trauma. Mm -hmm. Um And namely that there's some real fundamental epistemological problems when we look at the concept of PTSD. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the details mm -hmm. that, as I outlined them in a the book here, but mm -hmm. just quickly, uh, the problem is, first of all, the reduction of trauma to the cognitive patterns, in the sense of the brain or the mind, mm -hmm. um, and the way in which this also means that when we come to think about recovering from trauma, that it means that the patient has to restructure those things. So like to restructure his mental or cognitive capacities. Yeah. And what I say in the book is that, well, this is really problematic because it means that injustice becomes an individual responsibility of basically the brain or the mind. So mm -hmm. it's like the individual becomes responsible for, uh, for, for solving the bad stuff that has happened to yeah. him or her. Um, but also that the cognitive um, conception of trauma has deep epistemological problems in that when we talk about trauma, we need an event mm -hmm. um, because it's the event that sets it apart from other disorders such as stress and anxiety, etc. Yeah, because there needs to be this triggering factor. We need in trauma, we need to have this triggering factor. Mm -hmm. But when we then look at um, the ways in which we try and establish you know, that causal relation, is actually deeply epistemologically flawed um, because personal character traits come into play. We cannot actually just use nosological reasoning, so by the sense of looking at uh, the symptoms and then we see the, the cause. Yeah. The cause. Um, so at the most, we have a correlation. So basically what I say is that what happened in uh, trauma studies is what we call a category mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, so something that is actually deeply intersubjective and to do with norms mm -hmm. became regarded as a fact. Mm -hmm. Now, what I say is that trauma is basically a fundamental rupture of the presupposition of being treated as an equal human being. And that means that when you are ruptured in this sense of that your equality vis-a-vis -vis other human beings becomes so ruptured either through human act mm -hmm. or through a natural event that is so overwhelming that you lose the capacity to act, you become speechless uh, mm -hmm. and disorientated. And so what we have in my conception is basically the sense of injustice as the cause and speechlessness and disorientation uh, as the effects. Mm -hmm. And in uh, long COVID, what I would argue is that 
it's basically rendered patients speechless on a multiple of different levels. Mm -hmm. So it's rendered them speechless in terms of the physical uh, gravity of the disease that is literally disorientated and rendered them completely yeah. unable to do stuff. Um, as their lives have come crashing down, but then also the way in which society responds to it. So stigmatization, ridicule, not taking them seriously, um, mm -hmm. etc. But also political marginalization. The long COVID patients cannot go onto the Mali fields. They cannot speak out. Yeah. They become invisible, and the minister basically uses that to, you know, further exclude them and not actually, you know, carry their burden. Mm -hmm. So in this sense, I'd say that um, basically long COVID patients have suffered from multi-leveled traumatic state of subordination. And that is what we need to address. Well, if we would now think in terms of the old terms of trauma, meaning something that one would have to work through oneself, that it is like a subjective thing that needs to be overcome, I would probably ask you how would do people, you know, that feel traumatized or that are experiencing long COVID, what do they need to do? But what we now kind of heard from your definition of trauma and from how you just explained it is, okay, it's not, like it's more than just a subjective uh, yeah. meta, more than a subjective uh, feeling that involves the exterior world as well. So I think... Yeah. The right question to ask at this point is what should be done and could be done by politics and by society to lift the burden of people who are suffering from long COVID at least a little bit? Yeah, I would say uh, in terms of politics, um, quite bluntly put, follow the German model. Uh, so put out a <laughs> I public... I think that's not said very often. <laughs> yeah, in the okay. Netherlands, maybe not. <laughs> no. But really, follow the Germans. Mm -hmm. um, because really, if you, you need a public information campaign that is also factually correct, um, up to date with the latest science, And also really pushes forward this message to people that, you know, long COVID is real. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also where we have a big problem in the Netherlands is that it's often psychologized. So mm -hmm. we need to stop the psychologization of the illness. Long COVID is a multisystematic organ disease. It is not something that I can improve by just thinking happy thoughts. Yeah. And that's maybe also where this new... Like this, like what is at stake, right? With this new definition of trauma, to not see it as something that you yeah. can just psychologize and like put off, but something yeah. that is really something that needs to be kind of well, you can't solve it, but at least uh, worked on or like worked improved, yeah. like in a more broader way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also by society and by politics mm -hmm. together. Um, so also socially, you know, recognize also that these people are not. Um, exaggerating that they're not, you know, making this up, that it's not that they don't have a will to do stuff, they're not yeah. being lazy, they're, all of this stuff. That's what we need to work on. Mm -hmm. um, we also actually need to see it in the broader context of post-infectious diseases um, because actually there's often, you know, we often hear this talk in, in the Netherlands particularly of like, oh, this is a new disease. We don't know anything about it. And yes, in some ways, you know, long COVID is new, it's recent. Mm -hmm. But it also follows a larger trajectory of um, post-infectious uh, disorders that mm -hmm. we've already seen with Lyme disease, with Q fever, and also particularly MHCFS. And so what we need to do is um, yeah, really address that, both in terms of our political recognition on it, mm -hmm. of it, the medical solutions of it, so really working towards, mm -hmm. uh, actively working towards clinics and other things that really treat people 
Um, and that's something that the government here, or particularly Kuipers, has here refused. Mm -hmm. um, and socially also, you know, try and support these people. Yeah. Um, and it also means building structures of solidarity. Mm -hmm. So uh, normalizing, for instance, the wearing of face masks by those who need it. Um, and not, you know, and this happens a lot to me, but also others, is that when you then enter into a shop or other things, uh, indoors, of course, then, uh, you know, you're basically, you're, you're shouted at, you're sworn at, you're, I've been kicked, mm -hmm. um, all sorts of things, mm -hmm. just because people think, you know, whatever they think of a, a face mask. Yeah. And it's not as if it's fun to wear these things, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, I'd rather not be wearing yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> really, like really everyone mean, who ever wore a face oh, mask can like imagine the. It's a, and this know, is like, also yeah. for us. This is like you know so many years. So that needs, but it's all those layers of, you know, recognition. Yeah. Uh, really, and yeah. and the government really has a, rather than pulling their hands off these patients, which is what Kuipers has been doing, yeah. is actually you now you need to move towards these patients and actively do something because also it's growing. Mm -hmm. um, this is not a problem that yeah. will stop. Yeah. Yeah. This brings us to the last questions of the podcast already. Um, so for everyone who's interested in knowing more about long COVID and also about the trauma that it is, um, is there a book, a movie or any source of information that you would like to suggest? Firstly, I would suggest a film called Unrest, mm -hmm. which actually isn't about long COVID, but it's uh, about MACFS, um, which is you know, basically it, it's equivalent to what a lot of long COVID patients are experiencing. And it's a really, really good documentary that also relays of how this uh, disease manifests itself. Um, because again, we need to see long COVID in the wider spectrum of post-infectious diseases. Um, and then I would also, just in terms of factual information, <laughs> I never thought I would do this, but <laughs> I would actually really refer people to the German government's website of the BMG. So this, yeah, in, in English, bmg.de, and they have a long COVID initiative mm -hmm. where at least you can find, you know, scientific details um, and accurate information on long COVID mm -hmm. um, and also what you can do to, you know, try and avoid it. Mm -hmm. And finally, what is one thing that everyone should remember about long COVID? Um, although it's weird that I say long COVID is traumatic, I would say you have to remember that it's not psychological. I think that sums it up quite, quite <laughs> well. Vivian, thank you so much for being my guest and for sharing your knowledge on long COVID as well as your personal experience with us. Thank you.